Welcome to the Fustel Fit Podcast with your host, Nicola Fustel. Straight talking, body positive coach and personal trainer. Nicola brings you your weekly guide to finding real health and fitness and to live the life you deserve. Welcome to episode 19 and I speak to Nicola Rinaldi. So Nicola has a PhD in computational biology from MIT and after graduating she worked for a biotechnology company whilst pursuing her dreams of a family which were thralled by her diagnosis of hypothalamic amenorrhea, having no periods. 18 months of trying to conceive followed and she spent years on research using the knowledge gained to work on recovery. Concurrently she tried to she tried the medical route to pregnancy with multiple doctor visits, injections and ultrasounds resulting only in failure. But ultimately, she was able to actually conceive a natural pregnancy. Since then, Nicola has shared her knowledge of the path of recovery, helping hundreds of others achieve their dreams of womanhood and pregnancy. She has spent the last three years as a stay-at-home mum with her three boys, Anthony, Timmy and Cameron, whilst writing this comprehensive guide to recovery. So Nicola joins me today. And I ask her to share a little bit about her story. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I myself, um, I suffered from hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is basically a missing period due to the hypothalamus, which is part of your brain being shut down or um, under-fueled. Um, and that can happen for a few different reasons. It's often a combination. It's, you know, under fueling, not, not getting enough to eat, um, either in number of calories or a variety of food, um, over exercise, or sometimes it's any exercise and stress. So those are, those are the three major components. Um, so my story is that I was in graduate school um, doing a PhD in biology and I exercised a lot because my husband was a consultant and he was away five, four to five days a week. Um, so I was doing things that I enjoyed. I, I had picked up ice hockey when I met him. I played volleyball and squash and lifted weights and rode my bike to, to, to school sometimes. Um, and that was all fine. I think I was on birth control pills, so you never know what's really going on, but yeah. I think that was all okay until I decided to start limiting my food intake. Um, so a bunch of the guys in my lab were going on a diet and I thought, Hey, you know, I, I could stand to lose some weight. And, uh, you know, I, I was starting to think about getting pregnant and, I read in so many places that you should lose weight to have a healthy pregnancy and lose weight to have an easier time getting pregnant. And I, so I kind of took that to heart and I thought, great, this is going to be perfect. I'm going to, you know, go off the pill in a few months when I, when I'm done with graduate school and I'm going to get pregnant really easily and it's going to be yeah. awesome. Um, so you except, didn't have like a background of um, eating disorders or dieting or body image? No, I really didn't. I was, um, I had a fairly normal relationship with food growing up. Um, you know, I, I was in, um, I didn't, I really didn't exercise much at all in high school. I was, I, I, I was in the music program. So I played, I played the flutes. I was in band and orchestra and, um, 
so I started to get into exercise as, through college and then after college. Um, but I, I really had a fairly normal relationship with food until I s- decided to start on this, uh, this crazy diet. Yeah. And, um, it was actually really interesting because, so I was, I was probably under eating by about at least a thousand calories a day, maybe 1500, um, based on, you know, what I was eating and the amount of exercise I was doing. And just that sort of got me, like I started, I lost weight and I started, I was definitely getting obsessive about what I was eating. I was tracking everything in, in, in a little Excel file, you know, I would, make sure that if I didn't know the number of calories I was getting, I would overestimate rather than underestimating. Um, and I really got addicted to seeing the number on the scale going down. Um, so I was definitely, I was definitely getting obsessed and I was, um, a friend, a good friend of mine was, um, I was following her blog and she was doing something similar and she, she posted about the Minnesota starvation study. Um, I, I'm sure you're probably aware yeah. of that. Um, but that was a study done in the 1940s, um, where, where conscientious, conscientious objectors were decided to participate in a study to look at um, a semi-starvation diet and then refueling from that. And I, I read about that and the, the effects of the under eating that they were doing. And mm-hmm. so many of them rang true for me from the physical symptoms to the mental symptoms. And that was a real wake up call for me Yeah. as to what I was actually doing to my body. You know, I started waking up hungry in the middle of the night and, you know, I would not eat because, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't part of my allotted calories for the day. And then when I read in the, in that study that that was happening to those men, I was like, Whoa, you know, this is not cool. And so that sort of helped pull me back a little bit and so made me realize point, that, like how far into your dieting did you then lose your period? Um, I don't know because I was on the pill. Um, so that really masks what's actually going on with your body. Um, it was about a month and a half after I started when I went off the pill to try and get pregnant. And at that point I didn't get my period. So it wasn't very long, but I was, I mean, I was hardcore losing weight and, um, you know, looking back now, you know, at the time I was like, wow, I'm not getting my period. You know, this is so odd. And looking back now, I'm like, what was I thinking? Of course I wasn't getting my period. (laughs) You know, I mean, it just, in hindsight, the, with the amount of exercise I was doing and the under eating, it was, you know, there's no way my body could have had a period. So it's Um, great that you then learned about the Minnesota starvation experiment. But then how did you then know that you had hypothalamic amenorrhea? Were you diagnosed with that or did you research it somehow? Um, I was I was diagnosed with it. I, I was doing my own research at this point um, because there wasn't very much on the web about missing periods mm-hmm. at that time. This is about 10 years ago. Um, there's a lot more information available now, which I think is fantastic. Um, but... I, so I went to see my OBGYN and she was sort of saying, oh, well, you know, we don't really know what's going on. We'll wait three months and see if you get it back because sometimes people just don't get their period back for a while after they go off the pill. And um, she said, you might want to eat a little bit more and exercise a little bit less, but what you're doing is probably fine. Um, so I did I did kind of pull back a little bit. I started eating a little bit more um, and exercising a little bit less. Um 
but you know, I was still playing ice hockey and volleyball and squash. It was just maybe I would only do one thing a day instead of two. Um, and so over time, um, you know, I, she could she she ended up being saying, "Well, I'm not really sure what's going on. Why did she go and see a reproductive endocrinologist?" And so the the reproductive endocrinologist did a bunch of blood work, and they did an MRI um, of my brain because there's um, a kind of pituitary. They call it a tumor, but it's not really a tumor because it's not cancerous. But that can that can be an issue for some people. Um, so they checked that and then eventually they diagnosed me with hypothalamic amenorrhea because it wasn't PCOS um, that was that they ruled out based on blood work. And really hypothalamic amenorrhea is the is the remaining diagnosis. I mean, if you've ruled out any genetic issues and you know if you've had your period in the past and then you've lost it, um, hypothalamic amenorrhea or PCOS are the two most likely diagnoses. And in my case, as I said, PCRS was ruled out based on blood work. And so hypothalamic amenorrhea was what I was left with. And from now on, I'm just going to call it HA because that's <laughs> a bit of a mouthful. Hypothalamic amenorrhea is quite a mouthful. Yeah. But you know what? It's, it's really interesting because I only came across you because I'd, um, well, got into the health at every size community and body positivity. But I had actually suffered with HA for about 10 years. And I'd mm -hmm. only really had maybe four periods within the whole 10 years just after having a holiday. And so yeah. I just thought maybe mine was a mixture of stress or exercise or whatever. But obviously, as a fitness professional, I did a lot of exercise. And I always kind of limited what I ate to try and stay a certain weight. Mm -hmm. So I, I only then, when I came out of it, I then found hypothalamic amenorrhea through you. And I'd had various GPs. I'd even had fertility treatment. So... I mean, I've, my daughter's five now, my second child, and mm -hmm. it was um, trying to have her that I then realized that I had a problem and didn't have a period. Um, but yeah. without wanting to try to conceive, I just thought, oh, this is, you know, something that's normal. A lot of athletes don't have a period. And the doctor just agreed with me. Yeah, it's, it, it's normal. You know, there's nothing yeah. you can do about it. We can give you a pill to have a period. <laughs> yep. I, it's just outstanding that um, GPs and even the fertility experts didn't even say to me, this is what you've got. And maybe you should yeah, do your exercise and all of the other things. It's amazing. It's really astonishing to me how how few um, doctors seem to know about this condition because I think it's becoming more and more prevalent with um, you know exercise and fitness being more common for women. I mean, you know, in in the U.S., I think in the last forty years or so, um, there was a, a Title IX was approved here, and that that really opened up so many avenues for women, you know, where, where sports had really been a, a male dominated before, before then it, it, it opened up so many options for women and girls mm -hmm. to play sports in school and after school. And I think it's fantastic, but along with that comes, you know, missing periods. If you're, if you're, if you're doing too much exercise wise, or if you're under eating, and of course our society tells us that we have to be skinny or thin in order to be beautiful or healthy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, you know, you add those two things together and yeah, I mean, there's definitely been an increase in, in the last, you know, couple decades. And I think even more in the two thousands, just because 
I think the the sort of ideal body type has now become skinny and fit and you know it used to just be skinny and now it's you know skinny and muscular and low body fat and you know our bodies really aren't meant to look that way or be that way so I think it's um they 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 express their displeasure with us by shutting down our reproductive systems along with other you know their other effects as well Um, so can you talk about a little bit of the research that you've done that maybe you put into your book um, for example, the hypothalamus part of your brain and what actually happens. Why are we so sensitive to stress? Yes, definitely. So um, when I, after I had HA myself, I, I ended up posting on an online message board at fertilethoughts.com, and um, I, I posted there for about ten years, and that's where I, you know. I, there was a whole community of women who had HA and I helped many of them recover their periods and get pregnant. Um, so every time somebody would ask a question, I'd go and research it because as a scientist, that, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I've, I've come across a lot of papers in, in the last 10 years about HA. There's, there's actually a fairly good body of scientific work on the topic, um, which is again, why it's surprising to me that so few doctors are unaware of what the effects of underfueling and overexercising and stress can be. Um, so I ended up uh, after about five years after I started posting on this board, the women on, in the group would, would say to me, "You know, you know so much. You should write a book." And then she was like, "Yeah, I should." And so then I compiled all all my research and put you know put it into book format so that it, it you know everything. Can it kind of goes start to finish from what is HA to how do you recover to how do you get pregnant and you know life after pregnancy um, or after you've recovered. Um, so let's see. To start with, um, the hypothalamus is a small part of your brain that controls a lot of your hormones. Um, it it takes in information from your body, including um, information about what you've had to eat if you've eaten. So it gets different hormonal signals from your stomach, your gut, um, about whether you, you know, how many calories you've eaten, whether you've had protein or fat or carbohydrates. So it's, it's, it's amazing. It's really so cool how each of those different things that we eat sends a different hormonal signal to our brain. So our hypothalamus knows what we're eating. Um, It also gets information about stress. So there are stress-related hormones. Most people have heard of cortisol, and then there's cortisol-related hormone and a couple of others that are in that pathway. Um, And there's uh, exercise actually affects the stress pathway as well. Um, So a lot of times we feel happy about exercise, you know, we get those endorphins that are released that make us feel good. But even the endorphins, actually, if there are too many of them, they can help shut down the hypothalamus. So it's all of those things or all of those inputs are taken in by that part of your brain. And then it gives off other hormones that control different systems. Um, So the hypothalamus can send out hormones that tell you you're hungry and or they or it can tell you that you've that you're full so you know when you get that kind of gnawing feeling in your stomach that actually comes from your hypothalamus mm-hmm. um or you know it tells you when it thinks you've had enough to eat um and it also controls other things like your body's temperature um 
and how much energy is being used to keep you warm. It controls, um, obviously, your reproductive system. Um, it controls, it, it's involved in sending out hormones that help your nails and your hair grow. Um, so all of the stuff, it, you know, it, it takes in all of that information and then sends out other signals that control so many things in your body. Um, so it's really, you know, once I understood how all of those different components were linked together, it made so much more sense to me that, you know, if you have, if you're, if you're feeling psychologically stressed and you're exercising and you're under eating, it's like a perfect storm. And, you know, of course your hypothalamus is not going to be able to deal with that and shut down as much as it can to conserve energy mm -hmm. and you know, keep the important parts of your body working and to your, you know, to your brain, your reproductive system is not nearly as important as keeping your blood pumping and energy going to your brain. And, um, so, you know, your ovaries and your uterus get, you know, get the shaft. <laughs> and I think rightfully so. I mean, yeah. you, you, you certainly don't have the energy to reproduce and, you know, grow a, another human being inside you if you don't have enough to, you know, to, to go around and fuel at least your basic metabolism. Yeah. So. Because ex people always talk about exercise as a stress reliever and say that if people are under stress, they should do some exercise. But in this case, exercise is an added stress, isn't it? Yes, it definitely is. And and that's, it, it's so hard for people to grasp because it does make you feel good. I mean, sometimes, you know, you, you can definitely be going too far and then you can know that you, you don't actually feel good after you're exercising. Um, but those endorphins are amazing that, you know, they, they definitely do make you feel as if your stress has been relieved, but that's not how your body is actually sensing it. So mentally you're, you're thinking this, but your, your, your body is feeling has different feelings about it and in terms of the fight and flight response is that also the hypothalamus um it's i think that's a, a different component um that's not something that i've sort of come across in my research i i know i've heard a couple of other podcasts about it and um the the general stress response um, can also play a part in um, in this, but it, it's not something that really was um, came up much in, in when I was when I was researching HA. Mm -hmm. So, um, how long did it take you to get your own periods back? It ended up taking me about eighteen months. Um, well, it, it's it's a little bit of an odd story. So I. Uh, about eight months after I went off the pill and discovered I was missing my period, I went on vacation to South Africa. Um, I, I was born there, so I still have a, a lot of relatives, and we, we, we used to go back to visit every couple of years. Um, and so I, I did get a period when we were in South Africa because I was eating a lot more. I was barely exercising. You know, we'd do a bit of walking and played a couple of rounds of golf, but I wasn't doing my normal thing. Yeah. And it was I was utterly thrilled, you know. I mean, it had been eight months at this point, and I had, you know, I had stopped obsessing about what I was eating mostly. I mean, I was still tracking things to some degree, but, you know, I, I was eating a lot more. I was exercising less. Um so it was, you know, it was super exciting. And I'd actually 
started thinking about fertility treatments at that point because you know I I had wanted to get pregnant eight months before that and you know when you when you want that it, it it's like you want to be pregnant right now yeah. so I had a couple of appointments with specialists when I got back and um, you know the first one saw a follicle that seemed to be growing so I was on cloud nine. And then I went again two days later and nothing had changed. And so they said, oh, you, you know, your period was just kind of a one-off and you're not, you're not going to ovulate again. And so let's do fertility treatments. Um, knowing what I know now that women often have longer cycles to start with, I would have told myself then to just be patient and wait a few more weeks um, because I think that it's highly likely that I would have ovulated and, you know, not gone down the fertility treatment rabbit hole. But, you know, I didn't know and my doctors sort of said, oh, well, you know, we should just do these treatments because they'll get you pregnant and no problem. Um, well, they didn't work. So I had four cycles of injectables with IUI and I didn't get pregnant on any of them. Um, and so, you know, this is almost uh, about another eight months later, uh, you know, because I had a few cycles where I had cysts and so I had to, you know, had to take a month off and, you know, more birth control pills, of course, because that's what we do. Um, and so then we decided we were going to do IVF and I waited, you know, for, I waited for insurance reasons because I, um, if I were on one particular insurance that was in my state, they would cover it. And we were on my husband's insurance at the time. So it was, wasn't covered. So I was like, okay, I'm going to wait a couple months and then we'll do IVF. Well, in those couple of months, I ovulated on my own and I got pregnant. So it was, you know, it was the best and biggest surprise of my life <laughs> when I, yeah. you know, I was doing ovulation predictor sticks because I figured, hey, it gives me something to do while I wait for IVF to start and maybe, maybe, maybe it'll work. And it turns out that it did. And, you know, when I, when I peed on that stick and got the positive, I, I was just utterly floored and, you know, and then I ended up getting pregnant from that. So, so how, how many years ago was that? Um, my oldest is now 10, so wow. it was quite a long time ago and yeah. Yeah, see mine's five now and I remember that moment as well and because I'd had such a long time, four years of mm -hmm. am I pregnant, am I not, because not having the parents, oh, I don't know, and just going through the whole emotional roller coaster, I just didn't believe it and I think I didn't even know that I was pregnant initially because I hadn't had any periods for so long mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah, I was just overwhelmed with emotions yeah it's amazing isn't it yeah <laughs> um and the other thing is I, I i do think that for some reason doctors in the uk are less aware of ha than doctors here in the mm. us are i'm not really sure why that is but um it seems very common for women in in the uk that that I've met through my boards to say, you know, my doctors had no idea what was going on with me. They told me it was unexplained infertility and, you know, yeah. nothing you can really do about it. Um, if you just don't tick a certain box and then that's it, you're just left with um, undiagnosed whatever and you're just left. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I did have one, one doctor in the fertility department who said to me, do you ever just eat fish and chips? And mm -hmm. I, I didn't understand because I was like thinking, well, I need to eat healthy. Why, why would I want to eat fish and chips? But I think what he was getting at was that, do I ever relax around food? And I don't think I ever did at the time. So mm -hmm. I think with me, when I eventually got mine back, I, I got mine back in six days. 
because I'd decided, I just made that decision. I wasn't going to worry about food anymore. I was yeah. just going to eat whatever and try to get my body's signals back in tune. Cause you know, when you've mm -hmm. been dieting for so long, you don't even know when you're hungry, uh, when you're full or, or what yes. you're even craving for. You're just so not in tune with your body cause you've just been yeah. following your head the whole time. Yep. So I think it, my, I was obviously really lucky to get my periods back within six days, but I think it's because I then made that decision. This is mm -hmm. my new way of living now. I'm, I'm not going to stress about food. I'm not going to, I didn't exercise for six days at all. Just complete rest. Yeah. And, and I was surprised, but six days, obviously my body was trying to get back to having a period and I wasn't allowing yes. it to and just having yeah. that mental stress relief. It just happened in six days. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, that's pretty unusual actually to get it back that quickly. Um, I think the, the, the median time that it takes is about six months, which can, you know, it, that feels like a long time, but in, in the grand scheme of things, it's really not. And, you know, it's so worth it for your health. It really is. Yeah. Um, but it's also, you know, I think you're also right that the fact that you were able to make that switch and just go all in immediately is, you know, definitely has something to do with yeah. it coming back that quickly because for many women, it, it's hard to say, okay, now today I'm going to eat everything and not worry, you know, not exercise. It's usually like, okay, I'll, I'll add this and see what happens. Yeah, and there's I'll add, always that you know, part I'll where you're holding back. What happens. And with that, I was going to say, it's always that part that you're holding back and because the holding back of worried about putting on weight or um, eating certain foods. You've got such anxiety about certain foods, probably because yes. of the, the weight issue or internalized fat phobia. You then mm -hmm. can't just completely let go. And I think you're right. It was because I did that. I completely let go for, the, for those yep. six days. And that's why it happened for me. Yeah. Cause I'd had yes. years before where I was always trying to stay a certain weight. And that's mm -hmm. why even if I reduced my exercise for a while, I would then panic and then I would have to exercise again. Or if I tried eating in a certain way, I would feel my weight creeping up and then I would start exercising again. Yep. Yeah. And also, you know, a lot of, a lot of women really struggle with giving up the exercise. And mm -hmm. I, I found that um, it's high intensity exercise that's really the issue. So running, absolutely. Um, you know, for me, obviously, ice hockey is high intensity, um, you know, biking where you're really getting your heart rate up, um, you know, uh, fitness classes often really increase your heart rate and, you know, I would consider those high intensity. Yeah. Walking is generally fine. Um, you know, gentle yoga is generally okay. Um, I've had people say that bar three classes are good. Um, so it's not that you can't exercise at all, but you know, the, the low intensity stuff doesn't increase your cortisol and doesn't affect your hormones in the same way that, that the more high intensity exercise does. Um, but of course, sitting on the couch for six days is not going, it's not going to be a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we have this idea that as soon as we stop exercising, that we're immediately going to lose our fitness and lose everything that we've worked so hard for. And, and in my experience, that's just not the way our bodies work. You know, it's not like one day you're fit and the next day you're unhealthy and, you know, you're going to have a heart attack. I mean, it just, it, it doesn't work like that. Um, it's interesting so you, you bring that point up though, because I did feel when I'd had a break to come back to exercise, I felt that I wasn't as fit because I used to do 16 hours a week of exercise. 
and mm -hmm. I, I managed to cut myself down because obviously I teach, so I have to do a certain amount, but I, I cut my exercise down to eight hours. So even mm -hmm. though that's more than maybe somebody, a, a normal person could do at the moment, I think because I'd done so much to cut it down by half, my body was like, ah, you know, I, I've got a, a considerable amount of stress relief and mm -hmm. I've managed to find that balance where I've had a period every single month since. I was yeah. always worried that if I did a bit more, then it would go away again. Um, but I think being in tune with your body, I felt when I went back to exercise, even though it was only six days, I did feel like I'd lost a bit of fitness. But I think really? it's just because my mind was now in tune with my body. And if I was a bit tired, I felt like, do you know what? It's okay. I can rest because mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. trying to listen so that I didn't override it and then lose the periods again. Yep. But what's funny is because I'm not trying for a baby. So I've been doing all of this just for my health. But what I really wanted you to explain for people listening is why it's so important to have your period, even if you're not trying to get pregnant. It's it's hugely important. I mean, there's there are so many positives that we get from the monthly changes in hormones. So the way that the hormonal system works is that at the beginning of your cycle, which is when you get your period, your hormones are fairly low. They're sort of at a baseline. Um, and if you have HA, that's where they are all the time. It's sort of like what your hormones are at at the beginning of the cycle. And then towards the middle of the cycle, which is when you ovulate, your estrogen goes through the roof. Um, and that, that bump in estrogen that we get every month um, and the other associated hormones, progesterone and some, some others, but I mostly talk about estrogen just because it's an, a, an easy marker to use. Um, so that estrogen has major effects on your bones so that, you know, that's one of the big things that women can really, um, that can really cause long-term problems for us is that our bones are very estrogen sensitive. And if they're not getting that monthly, you know, pulse of, really supportive estrogen that helps build our bones um you can lose bone mass and get osteopenia or osteoporosis uh stress fractures um so that you know the osteoporosis is more of a long-term concern but stress fractures can happen you know anytime and that's you know a lot of that is because of the the lack of the monthly estrogen that we're getting um other things that can be affected are your heart like you People don't realize that, but there are estrogen receptors in your heart and um, there are processes that are supported by estrogen that help keep your heart in good shape. And so, you know, we, we always think, oh, my heart rate's really low. That's great. I'm athletic. You know, it's, it's a good thing. But in, in, it is to a point. But, you know, if your, heart, if your resting heart rate is in the 30s or 40s, that's, that's actually not healthy. Um, and that's really something that's, that, that can be a big concern. Um, and then the last thing is that there are studies that have been done in women that have had surgical menopause. So they've had to have their ovaries and uterus removed for, you know, for other health reasons. And that puts them into menopause. And so those women, there, there seems to be, there's some suggestions that there's an earlier um, mental decline based on not having the monthly estrogen. And a lot of doctors will say, oh, you're fine. You can just take the pill or you can, you know, take hormone replacement therapy. But honestly, the research that I've seen shows that it's just not as good as having your monthly period. Um, so particularly with regards to bones, the, the pill will 
maybe keep your bone density where it is um, if you're continuing to overexercise and undereat to a significant degree. That's not even true, and your bone density can continue to degrade even when you're on the pill. Mm -hmm. um, but it certainly does not build bones the way that your natural hormones do. So that's that, that's something that's really, really important. And it, it's hard, you know, when you're in your 20s or 30s to look ahead 30 yeah. or 40 years and say, oh, what's my life going to be like if I, if I have osteoporosis? But um, you know, my, my co-author's mother has osteoporosis and it's, it's just, it's awful. I mean, she, she has to be so careful in her daily life and, you know, she has, um, she's, she's been in the hospital a few times because of, you know, fractured tailbone, fractured arm, fractured foot. And now she has this, um, sort of fractures that have continued to build like micro fractures that so she's just in pain all the time and there's there's not one break it's just it's kind of like stress fractures and mm -hmm. so you know it's so important that we treat our bodies well when we're younger so that we don't have to deal with that when we're older I mean it, it, it really sounds miserable and you know to, to to give all that away to be thin and fit oh it's you know it's heartbreaking it really is yeah Definitely. And um, I think when you're that age as well, your main concerns are just aesthetics, what your body looks like. And you, you say that you're doing all of these activities in the pursuit of health, when really it's at the detriment to your health. Mm hmm. Yes. And it's, you know, it's really a shame that our society has sort of taught us that we have to treat our bodies this badly in order to be appreciated and to be loved. I mean, it's so backwards and it, you know, it really, I love that there's the whole body positive movement and health at every size and that people are starting to push back on those, you know, those stupid ideals. Um, you know, I, I did a, my, my co-author Lisa did a survey for the book of um, husbands and partners of the women who, who had had HA. And overwhelmingly, they said that they, they enjoyed their wives more when they were not super not not starving themselves to be thin yeah. and not going out to exercise all the time i mean they, they enjoyed them more physically um men like women with curves they don't like women that look like prepubescent teenagers mm -hmm. and they enjoyed them more because the women were more present in their lives there's not you know like so many of us would you know go go to a, a function and say oh i'm not eating that or you know and so you, you kind of close yourself off from everybody around you because you don't want to participate in in you know family events or going out with friends or you know it's like oh no i can't eat that i'm going to eat my own thing or you know you're cooking yourself separate meals from your husband or your partner or um you know so i, I think the, the men really appreciated that aspect of presence in their lives you know just participating in everything and then also just the time spent exercising can you know that can be harmful for a relationship I mean if you're choosing every day to spend two hours at the gym and not be with your your partner then you know that they appreciated that extra time as well so yeah, there was just it was just such an overwhelmingly positive response to, to making the, the changes to recover health and everything else yeah, I'm just nodding away there thinking that all of the above, yep, with my husband. Mm -hmm. um, but also with my children, because my, my younger one 
Um, I remember when I first started eating normally and we shared some chocolate together and she was like, oh, mummy, you're allowed to have chocolate. Oh <laughs> and it was my just gosh. <laughs> a sweet little moment that I hadn't been able to share with her before that. Yeah, yes. And baking cookies and, you know, eating the batter and, sh you know, sharing the cookies yeah. with your kids. It's, you know, you can't so, get that back. So talking of uh, the Health Every Size and Body Positive community, can you talk about um, Setpoint and how that plays a role in, in your health? Um, so, yeah, I think I, I, I definitely agree with the Setpoint theory um, for the most part. And so it's basically so many of us are under-eating and over-exercising in an attempt to get away from what our set point is, you know, to, to, to uh, manipulate it and get it to be lower and lower and lower. Um, and I think for many women, recovery of their periods happens when they get back to their natural set point, sometimes a bit above. I mean, it, it often takes going a little bit past where you might have cycled in the past or, um, what your exercise might have been like when you were cycling regularly in the past, if you ever were. I mean, some, some people, um, you know, some, some women have started the diet and exercise um, lifestyle. Uh, I want a more negative word than that, but I can't yeah. come up with it right now. Um, but so some for some women that started in, in the teenage years, and then it's really hard to know like what where your set point might be. Um, but for many many women have cycled regularly in the past as an adult and then sort of went down the diet and exercise rabbit hole. And um, so it often takes getting back to a few more pounds or kilograms than you were at that time um, in order to recover your periods. And I think that's because your hypothalamus needs to feel confident that you're not going to all of a sudden go, you know, start pulling back on your eating and exercising again. Um, and, uh, I, I wrote a little blog post about this. Um, it's sort of, there's, there's a theory in chemistry called activation energy. And so it takes, it takes a certain amount of energy to get a chemical reaction going. And then once the chemical reaction is underway, then the amount of energy needed is a little bit lower. And so I think it's, it, that's, a, that's the same with the hypothalamus. You need an extra push to get it to restart your cycles. But once you have had um, a few natural cycles, I usually say for people to wait about three cycles, then, you know, you can start exercising a bit more, um, as long as you're mindful of making sure that you're fueling your exercise and that you are um, not, you know, you don't want to go from no high intensity exercise all of a sudden to running a marathon. That's, that's going to be a shock for your body. And, yeah. you know, it's, you're, I would be almost certain that you would lose your period again if somebody did that. Um, but I do have women who have recovered from HA and are running marathons and continuing to cycle. And it's because they're fueling themselves appropriately. And, um, you know, they added, they sort of added that high intensity exercise back in over time. And so I wanted to ask you about body diversity, because you must have seen in some of the women that you've helped that some restore a certain weight while others, it's much more before they get their periods back. Yes, it, it definitely is. And that's that's actually another really great point, is that not everybody who loses their period is 
thin, to, you know, according to the societal standards. I mean, women can lose their periods and be perfectly normal weight or, you know, even in heavier bodies. And it's, it's all about how much fuel your body needs. And if you're restricting that and exercising and stressed, then your period can shut down no matter what your absolute weight is. Um, and same thing, some, some women can, can put on five pounds and get their period back. For others, it's 20 or, you know, sometimes even a little bit more than that. But I have yet to, I mean, there's so few women that have said, I, this is not worth it. You know, I've, I've actually never seen that. Like somebody gets their period back. It's like, this was all worth it. However much weight it took, it was so worth it because you have your health back. You can get pregnant if you want to. Um, it, it's, you know, again, our, our society has this, this picture of what we're supposed to look like and it does not take into account that we're all different and we have different genetics and different, as you said, different set points. Um, so it can definitely be hard for women who do have to gain more weight, um, you know, especially if they were not considered skinny to begin with. Um, but it, it's just letting your body find the place where it's happy means that you can eat what you want and, you know, you can do the exercise, you can move your body because it feels good, not because you have to. And like we talked about, it just lets you be so much more present in your life. Yeah. Can you explain just, intuitive eating and why we should do that for our health? Um, so I, I actually, I wasn't really aware of intuitive eating, the whole, the, the book and the, the movement until fairly recently. Um, but it's, I, I ended up coming to the same conclusions based on seeing the women that, that, that I've worked with, mm -hmm. um, that if we just, if we follow our cues, our bodies are very good at keeping our weight in a, in a place that works for our particular body. And it, it's, you know, just understanding I think working to understand and listen to your body and be mindful of the signals that your body is sending is it's just it's so important because our bodies know what they need you know sometimes you crave certain things and it's because you, it's it's not in our head it's our body telling us it's our hormonal system telling us this is what we want mm -hmm. um this is what our body needs to, to be healthy and, you know, it needs certain nutrients. Like sometimes I find myself craving fried eggs and it's because my body needs that protein and fat. And, um, you know, so now, if, now if I feel like fried eggs, I have fried eggs. If I feel like bacon, I have bacon. You know, I think we have this mindset that if a food is quote unquote unhealthy, you can't have any of it. Um, but I really don't think that's the case. Our, our bodies are, really good at dealing with what what we put into them and you know if if it wants if if I have a donut it's not going to be the end of the world I don't think I should eat donuts every meal every day but you know if you did that you, your body would get sick of it and you'd say I don't want any more donuts yeah. um so I think that that's a lot of people feel like when they start listening to their body that they're binging um, and overeating. And that's a really common feeling. And 
I think it, it's part it's part of this, you know, you're if you've been restricting for so long and saying, I can't have that, I can't have that, I can't have that, then all of a sudden when you let yourself have it, your body's like, woohoo, and your mind is like, woohoo, you know, sugar, fat, it's all great. Um, but over time, those those feelings of need for those nutrients, I think, go go away and you're able to have one donut or one cookie and be okay with that because you know that you'll have you'll be able to have more later and your body isn't in this mindset like, I'm never going to get this ever again. I better eat as much as I can right now. Um, I think that's so, what's so hard for people, is especially coming from disordered background, if probably many of them have over-exercise and under-eating, that life is in a set of rules or a meal plan. To then take all that away and just say, let your body be and just eat what you, you've, you're craving just yeah. seems really strange. And I think to even just eat to the point of feeling full can sometimes feel like a binge if you've never allowed yourself to do that before. Yes, yes, that's very true. And your body will will regulate. I mean, I just, you know, I've now that I've heard a little bit more about intuitive eating and health at every size, it's it, it just seems clear to me that are once we stop our minds overruling what our bodies want, um, you know, there might be a period of adjustment, but there, the adjustment will happen. And it just, it gets you to a place where your life is just so much less work. <laughs> mm -hmm. and can I ask you about boys or men? I don't know um, if you've done any studies there, but where you spoke about the Minnesota starvation experiment, obviously that was done with men. And so yes. they didn't have the, the lack of period to then show what the health um, detriments were by not eating enough food. What other things would happen, do you think, to, to men would give signs that something is not quite right there? Um, so HA is definitely experienced by men as well. Um, I was at the um, ACSM, American College of Sports Medicine, conference last June, and there were a couple of posters about men essentially experiencing HA. Um, it, of course, there's no amenorrhea, but there's the same, you know, the, there, many of the symptoms are the same in terms of feeling cold. Um, the, the men have testosterone, which protects their bones more the, than, than women. Um, so that's not as much of a concern. Um, but men will have low libido. I mean, that, that, that's a huge thing for women as well is, you know, you just have no interest in sex at all when you're when you're under eating and, and over exercising. And that that's definitely true for men. Um, I, I think it's, it's much harder for men because, um, you know, the physical symptoms aren't as prominent as they are for women. Um, but you know, there would be the effects on hair and nails, but again, like men tend, to, you know, don't, don't really pay as much attention to those things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it, it, it has to be more of, um, almost just realizing that you are underfueling and overexercising. Um, I'm, you know, I haven't really, I haven't worked with men in this area, so I haven't, yeah. I don't have personal experiences to, to share. Um, but I know that there are a couple of men who are doing podcasts mm -hmm. who, who have experienced this, um, you know, 
HA female, I mean, there's the female athlete triad as well. That that's um, you know, HA is a component of that. And there is um, there is some there has been some research recently sort of suggesting that the same kind of thing can happen in men. Um, and I forget the term that that was suggested to to use for what for the male side of things. Um, but it's interesting because this is one area where there's actually so much more research in women than in men um, because mm -hmm. it's obviously so much more obvious in women. Um, you know, unlike many other areas where research is focused almost exclusively on, on men. So yeah, yes, just, I guess. <laughs> I just find it really fascinating because my background, what um, when I was most disordered really and had all those symptoms when I did bodybuilding and um, I met uh, in lots of community groups, men and women doing bodybuilding, but it seemed to be all the women had all of these issues and mm -hmm. the men seemed to be fine. And I know that men have, they're, they're able to have less body fat on them anyway. And obviously yes. women need a bit more body fat for fertility. But I just was really interested to see if there were any other ill effects that men have from doing all of these odd things to their bodies for aesthetics. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's their whole metabolism is going to be slowed down. So that means that their cells are not getting enough energy to, to really do the work that they need to do. So um, like repairing from injury, I would, I, I would imagine is something that takes longer in somebody who's, who's been restricting and, you know, cutting down their body fat. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it, it's definitely much harder to, to see in men. And also, as I said, I think that, that, the testosterone that they have sort of protects them to some degree. So they have to go much further down the path towards being unhealthy before they're going to experience the physical effects. Mm -hmm. um, but there are the mental, there are the mental effects as well. Like, uh, you know, being obsessed about food and eating and, you know, a lot of that that they saw in the Minnesota starvation study were things that I've definitely seen in both women and, and I would imagine in men as well in terms of, um, you know, really focusing so much on eating to the exclusion of everything else. And um, certainly I know for myself, when I undereat, I get, I, I'm much less patient. I'm bitchier. I'm, you know, just not as nice to people because I don't yeah. have, um, I, I don't have the, the, the stamina almost. And I think that's probably true for men as well is that they're more, you know, more aggressive, more, um, yeah. Uh, and in bodybuilding, yeah. they call it hangry where they're yes. hungry, angry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I remember when I was like that, I used to just drive really fast because I just needed mm -hmm. food. <laughs> But talking about um, how females obviously need a bit more body fat, and I work with a couple of ladies who are post-menopause, and um, mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask you, because I heard on another podcast, the Food Psych podcast, I don't know if you listened to that, and they were saying that um, as you get towards menopause age, you do store a bit more fat, and that's to keep your estrogen levels. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Um, it makes a lot of sense. I, I haven't researched that myself, so I can't say for sure, but, um, that definitely, you know, our, the fat cells are called adipocytes. Um, and those definitely, uh, are involved in our hormonal system. It's, it's another organ, you know, we don't think of our body fat as being an organ, but it really is. And the, the, those fat cells, um, have, 
you know, they excrete hormones and they take in hormones. So I can definitely see that as being the, being the case because, um, you know, there's leptin that's associated with fat cells and ad- adiponectin. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, but, um, so, and, and then, estro- you know, fat cells are definitely involved in the, in estrogen pathway as well. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can absolutely see that being true. Um, and, you know, um, our bodies are changing through our lives. And, you know, I think that we, as we've talked about, society has this idea that we're all supposed to look like, I don't know, 18 year old girls. And we're just not saying that way our bodies don't work that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, can I t- talk about your Facebook group? Because I think it's a really good community you've got on there. And I feel like I'm probably the only person in there who's not trying to have a baby. <laughs> but they, there's a. There's a lot 